Good morning, everybody. Oh, thank you very much. Um, one fan, that's it. It's all right. I appreciate it. Here you go. When I go long today, you and I have something to snack on, okay? That's the way, that's the way that rolls. Um, hey, good morning. It is so good to be here with everybody this morning. I hope, uh, I hope you don't mind me bugging you just a little bit, coming back and bugging you this morning and um, giving you a little bit of grief. Um, Shrek, thank you for having them lock the doors so that people weren't allowed to leave or at least keeping the lights out so that they have to stay for a little while longer. But I am so, I am so glad to be back with you this Sunday morning. And as you see right there, um, when I bring something like this up here with me, it usually means something good at the end of the morning. So hopefully that means something good for you at the end of this morning. Uh, well, today is a, um, today is really a, a terrible day. How many of you like to say that? Here you start right out with that. Um, yeah, some, anybody agree with that? I hope you don't. Um, we all come from different walks of life, but I view it as a terrible day. It was 17 years ago today, and I, and I remember that because it was Daytona 500 day. Uh, thus, I hate the Daytona 500 now. Um, no, I'm joking. I'm joking. Any Daytona fans in here, I am, I'm really just joking. That today is your day, and I love that. But it was 17 years ago today that my wife and I, this is the reason that I say that it's a terrible day, decided to move back to New York. What were we thinking? We went the wrong direction, right? You needed to continue going. I'm joking. We are so thankful. Um, um, God has worked wonderfully in our lives over those 17 years, so we are thankful for that. Uh, it's always fun to pick on New York when you get a little bit of an opportunity to do so. So uh, I thought I had to do that. But for those of you that are Daytona 500 fans, that is my memory that uh, serves me 17 years ago. If you're a Daytona Top 500 fan, who won 17 years ago today? JG, not Joel Garrison, Jeff Gordon. There you go. All right, a little bit of trivia for you if you like that trivia and you wanted to know that. Um, anyway, enough about all of that. All right, uh, we are in this series that we are talking about the church, right? We're, we're in this series, 1 Corinthians, messy church, blessed by God. And some of you, you might think that you have been, that you have come from a messy church, or you might look down the street and you might say, yeah, we know that church down the street. Or you may remember when growing up and say, yes, that my church, that was a messy church. Whatever the case may be, we, we all know this, that the church is made up of what? It's made up of people like you and me. And what do I know about people like you and me? We're fallen. What do I know about people like you and me? We sin. What do I know about people like you and me? We're, we're not perfect. All right? Some of us, we may try better, we may work harder, we may, we may think that we're further along than others, but suddenly when we start to think that, what do we become? We become arrogant and we become puffed up in our own minds, and what do we become? We become worse, actually, and we become part of the problem instead of part of the solution. But the great part is that our churches are blessed by God in spite of us. Sometimes we think that we have to do all the work so that God will bless the church, all right? Because if we do everything well enough, it'll all come together and it'll all work out well, right? Because if I do everything great, then this church will be wonderful. And yet God, in the midst of his plan, he brings together a group of broken people, all right? And that's us. Maybe not the worst we can be, right? Maybe not the worst people on the block, but broken individuals, God brings them together and somehow builds unity within them. And as he brings them together in this unity process, he builds a church, a church of people that love 
one another. And hopefully, if you are here this morning and you have been here more than just a few weeks, you can look around the room and see somebody that, you know what, I am glad that they invited me. I'm glad that they come to this church. I'm glad they're part of my small group. And hopefully, if you are somebody that is here for the first time or just a couple of times in, you are starting to build those relationships that this is a church where you can find people that you can relate to, that you can do, that you can do life that you can do this walk called Christianity, this walk called following Jesus together with other people. And it's into that scenario that we look at the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians is a book, um, what, what's taking place here? What Paul is writing about probably took place just merely two decades after, after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's how young, that's how early on in the process this is. It's probably in the 50s AD, 51, 52, 53, in that range there that what is taking place is taking place here, and it's taking place in the city of Corinth. And last, last week, Pastor Tim showed some tremendous maps, so I actually stole them and brought them back out this week just because I thought the maps were so great at explaining where is Corinth. When we talk about the world, right here is what, right here is what we're looking at, the city of Corinth. And you and I, there isn't anybody here that's saying, yeah, that's on my bucket list of places to travel to, right? Nobody here, Ooh, yeah, I was looking for flights this summer and headed over there, right? If anything, we're headed over to here, right? That's where we're headed to. We're headed to Rome. Or you're headed on some Mediterranean cruise right through here, but you're not looking to hit Corinth. That wasn't on the top of your list. And yet back then, all right, in the first century, Corinth was a major city. It was a thriving thoroughfare, right? And as we continue on with our next map, we, we see what takes place there, right? Corinth is right there. People are there, all right? And people are coming together. They are gathering there. And why are they gathering there? Because it was a trade route. The trades would come through here, right? And people would gather together, right? Because they come into the Gulf here, and then they leave out through the Gulf of Corinth on the top of there, and I headed on their way over to Rome. Um, you can click to that next slide as well, and it'll just show you some of the trade routes that went right through there right? The world is traveling through Corinth. And Pastor Tim last week referenced it as what? Similar to Las Vegas today. And that's probably a good comparison. That is probably an excellent comparison in that the world comes together there, travelers come together there, and guess what? Once I leave and continue either back to my homeland or continue on up towards Rome, nobody knows. And there were all sorts of opportunities to indulge in a sinful lifestyle while there. And into the midst of this, you have a church that's proclaiming the truth of Jesus Christ, a risen Savior. And in the midst of this, you still have some Jews that have been dispersed along the, along the world, around the world at that time. They're declaring, what? Resurrected Jesus? No, that is no such thing. You have others that are worshiping every God that's available and saying, well, we don't care if you want to worship another God, but just don't change our ways. And you have the Roman Empire, right? Pushing in. There is no other king, right? but Caesar, there, right? There are no other kings. So this is what is taking place there. And into the midst of this, we have this church. And last week, if you were here, you know that this, the, the people of Corinth, these individuals, they were called by God, right? They're individuals that were called by God. They were sanctified by God. And they're there by the grace given in Jesus Christ. Each one of us, we can claim those three things as well. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have been called by God to follow Jesus Christ. Do so well. Each one of us here, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have been sanctified 
by God. Now, sometimes we get in our minds that we can be sanctified by our works. It's my works. It's my goodness. It's my giving. It's all that I do for the church. That's what sanctifies me. No, no. Those are the results of what is taking place, but we are sanctified. We stand right before God. God looks down, and when he looks at you, and when he looks at me, through Jesus Christ, through the death, the blood, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he sees the righteousness of Christ. That sin this week that you committed that you're there like, oh boy, how can I go to church after doing that this week again? Right? You're there like, how can I walk into church? Guess what? We are forgiven. Not that we, oh, well, good. I can go sin more then. Hot dog. How about that? I'm good to go. go. No, that's not the idea at all. But rather, we are forgiven. And when God looks at us, he sees us through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We are sanctified by God, by grace given in Jesus Christ. You see, that's the grace that is given to us. And again, if we go back to that idea of works, suddenly it's no longer grace, right? But rather, it's my wages. It's what I've earned because I'm doing so well as a Christian, right? Sometimes we want to think that in our lives. No, it is the work of God. He has called us, sanctified us by the grace given. As we move on this week, we are going to look at the very first issue that Paul is addressing in this church at Corinth, and it's division. There is division that is taking place in the church, and Paul wants to address it, and he wants to address it right away. Now, as an individual, you might find this interesting. I, I find it interesting when it comes to the division. This is what Paul is going to address first. Um, last week, Pastor Tim mentioned the fact that there is a gentleman there within the church that is being celebrated in the church that is, that is sleeping with his stepmother, all right? And they're celebrating that. That might be something that I'd address first. They are coming about communion, and guess what? Those that have, when they're gathering together, they're exploiting their wealth and, may not, and not paying no attention, mistreating the poor. Ooh, that might be something that needs to be they need to be taken care of. Paul is going to give in this book, chapter 13, right? That great love chapter telling us what love is. Oh, Paul, maybe that's what we should kick it off so that we all know what love is. But rather, Paul goes right to the heart, right to the beginning of the process here. And in the next four chapters, he's going to deal with the idea of division in the church. And why is he going to deal with the division? I believe that I understand this from scripture because all the other things, if there's division, doesn't matter, right? Because there's going to be people that are on the side of the wealthy, not taking care of the poor, and say, well, tell them to get a job. What's the matter? Haven't they read the classifieds? Don't they? They can go on Google, get a job, take care of yourselves. Paul's saying right away, we've got to take care of the division that was within the church first so that we can go and treat what is wrong here within the church. And he wants to say, hey, division, we need to take care of it. Well, I haven't done candy in a while, and I thought that I would do something with candy this morning, so I'll just, I'll just start with this right here. Um, Reese's, how many of you like that? Absolutely. Anybody allergic to peanut? If you're allergic to peanuts, you don't like that, do you? Right? Reese's, how many of you like York peppermint patty? They don't fail, right? It's, it's sugar. And how many of you like Twix? All right, so the biggest, uh, the biggest thing here is Reese's. All right. Now, one of the things about Reese's candy bars is um, they combine two products, right? Peanut butter, which is good, and chocolate, which is really good, right? Anybody complaining about those two things? We like that really well. And when the things come together, when those two products come together, we like that really well. Nothing wrong with peanut butter alone, 
Nothing wrong with chocolate alone. But when we put them together, we really like that. How about when we put dark chocolate with the mint flavor of the inside of a, of a York peppermint patty, right? Yeah, some say no, others say yes. And Twix, we bring a cookie with caramel and chocolate. That's tremendous, isn't it? I doctored this Twix bar. I doctored the York peppermint patty, and I doctored the Reese's peanut butter cup. You don't know it, so you'll want to be careful who I give these to. But I put sardines in each one of them instead. Anybody want them? Sounds great now, doesn't it? Yeah, we, got one, we have one taker. Suddenly, I just changed the product that's in it, right? If I were to change it, suddenly you're like, it's not as interesting to me. I know that's a silly comparison there. It's a silly way of doing things, but it's just something that I thought, you know what? An easy way to bring chocolate, an easy way to give some candy to people as they leave this morning, right? But hopefully a way to remind us that unity is important. What we unify, what we bring together is important. And when it comes to the church of Jesus Christ, Jesus decided to bring together his people, unified through the body of Jesus Christ. Why? To do the work of Jesus Christ. If we were to find bad chocolate, I don't know how you make chocolate bad, but if you were to use bad ingredients or something that's wrong with that, Maybe we wouldn't like this product so well, and we'd say, ooh, I don't want that. And you see, when the product of us serving Jesus Christ becomes bad, there becomes division within the church. And the church doesn't look like what it should look like. It doesn't operate as it should operate. It doesn't flow as it should flow. Why? Because God is bringing broken people together that celebrate the grace of Jesus Christ in their life, the sanctified position of, their, of God in their life. And they work together to honor, to serve, to love, to care for one another. And that's what Paul wants to hit as he starts the book of 1 Corinthians, all right? And he's going to hit this first. If you have your Bibles or if you have your device, your mobile device that you like to look at, I encourage you to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. The verses are going to be up here as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 10 is what we are going to start with this morning. And what we're starting with is we're starting with Paul speaking out. And he says this, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but yet that you be perfectly united in mind and in thought. Paul, as he starts this book, as he starts the writing, he's told us about the grace that you have been saved, that you have been sanctified. And now when he goes to address the problems that are taking place in this church, this messy church, he says, I want to appeal to you, all right? And I want you to be united in mind and thought. He continues on, my brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. What are, they, what are they saying there? They are looking around and they're looking at the speakers that they have had, the pastors that they have had. Paul planted, he started this church and there's still people in it that say, no, 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 this is who I follow. I, I follow Paul. Apollos is somebody that has come along following Paul and is, is a very good speaker, we're told actually back in Acts 18, I believe it is. 
that, uh, that Apollos is a, is a good speaker and he proclaims the truth to the people and others are there like, no, 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 Apollos, he, he's my man. He, he's who I speak. He's who I follow. Others are there like, no, I got to hear Peter. He was traveling through a nearby city and I traveled over to hear him. So I've heard Peter and I, and I understand Peter. And yet there's the others that are the righteous ones. Well, I follow Christ, right? They sit back and I, I follow Christ. And, and, they, and they kick back and that's what they're doing. And as a result of it, it's dividing the church in that the people are there like, who do we follow? Who, which, which one do you follow? And what do we find out? We find out that a divided church is an unhealthy church right? A divided church is an unhealthy church. As we see that, as, as we move forward here with that, a divided church is something that is an unhealthy church. We want to be paying attention to that in our lives. Do we become a divided church? Can we become an unhealthy church um, as we move forward in our lives? Jump to this next slide right here for me as we take a look at that, right? We don't want to be this. We have the opportunity in our lives to do that. Why? Because not only is a divided church an unhealthy church, you see, a divided, unhealthy church becomes a dying church. If we're not careful, we will become a divided, unhealthy church that is also a dying church. And we don't want to be that in our lives. Therefore, the church must fight for unity. Think about that even within the Bridgewater system. Think about that within Bridgewater Conklin within the last two years, right? You hit a pandemic where, what, what happens during a pandemic? What, what do we do, right? Yeah, we freak out, exactly. And what happens? Good people freak out on both sides. And all of a sudden, we're there like, what do we do? Well, I can't go to church. I can go to church. I have to go to church. We can't go to church. Well, church, the, the, the government says we can't go to church. Well, we got to go to church. Well, which way are we going? And, and we're going back and forth on both sides. In the midst of that, Bridgewater Conklin, right? Right? We go through a transition in, pastor, in pastoral positions, right? And all of a sudden, people can start saying, well, I follow this one. I follow that one. Where I follow him? Bridgewater as a whole, right? We have five different campuses and an online campus. And individuals could say, oh, no, no, no. I, I follow what they do. I follow Pastor Bob. He's the one. He's the one that start, seemed to start this and build this. That's who I follow. Others might say, no, no, no. I, I follow this pastor. I follow this I, can I tell you something? The men down there do the best they can to work as a unified group, bringing Bridgewater together as a body. It's an amazing process. It doesn't happen always. And yet they work themselves together. It doesn't happen in a world where churches want to stay unified just among themselves. And yet five campuses and a sixth one online that work together to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because they, exactly, hallelujah to that. Why? Because they want to build more and better disciples. They want to serve God through building more and better disciples where across Northeast Pennsylvania and throughout the Southern tier here. Is anybody perfect? Nobody's perfect. And yet God is using men and women in the ministry here to what? To build his church. Why? Because a divided church is unhealthy. And a divided unhealthy church is a dying church. We don't want to be that. Therefore, the church must fight for unity. And Paul is calling out and he is crying out to that. He is calling out and saying that, listen, don't be divided. Some of you are saying, I follow Paul, others Apollos, others Peter, others Christ. We all follow Christ. Work together as we follow Christ together. So he's calling for unity. Let's take a look. What, let's start with what unity 
isn't, right? When we talk about unity, we want to be paying attention. Unity does not mean uniformity. If you're a parent, you understand this. Let me rephrase it this way. If you were ever a teen in your life, if you were ever a child in your life, you have the potential to understand this, right? Mom and dad want you to do one thing. Do you know what I've learned in parenting? Those kids, they have minds of their own, and sometimes they do the very thing that they're going to do. That's pretty profound, isn't it? You're glad you came here this morning because some of you didn't realize that, did you? You were once that person. Your brain said, mom and dad, say do this. I am going to do this. It wasn't uniformity. Mom and dad wanted all of you and all of your siblings to grow up the same, perfect saints, everybody getting 100s on every test that ever came across the line. And guess what happened? Exactly. What happened there? The stinking oldest child. What did they do? They overachieved and made it hard for everybody else. Exactly. Somebody knows. The middle child, what did they do? Don't compare me to the others. What in the world? I'm me. Leave me alone, right? And what did the, what did the wonderful youngest child do? They said, look at me. I'm just going to entertain all of you, right? That, that's, what the, that's what that wonderful youngest child did, Right? I'm just going to bring peace to the situation. Look at me. Right? Uniformity, it didn't happen within your house. How in the world does uniformity happen within the church? I want you all to dress the same. I want you all to look the same. I want you all to behave the same. I want you all to look, right? No, that's not how it works. So you see, real unity is not uniformity. All right? Real unity within your family is you're still a family. You may be able to say something about your sister, but God forgive the person who says something bad about your sister, correct? Yeah, right? Because we are a family. We're unified. We're together. Real unity is not this. It's not avoiding issues either. Sometimes it's easy just to avoid issues altogether, right? Let's stay unified and let's avoid issues. Um, spouses, you know this. If you just avoid issues in your life, does it build unity? Or does it start to build up remorse? Does it start to build up anger? Does it start to build up bitterness? We need to be cautious of that. Why? Because if we just avoid the issues and just push them down all the time, what happens? The issue at some point is going to explode. And what happens to me? If I'm not going to fight in that situation, I just become bitter. Or if I am a fighter, I jump in both feet, both barrels blazing, right? Ready to go. So we can't avoid issues either. We've got to take issues on. As a matter of fact, Paul right here in 1 Corinthians is going to show us that. He does that. He goes right in. He is going to later address the very issues that are taking place in this church. And he doesn't do it with just, oh, love and kindness and all that. He does it with, listen, I am building unity. I love you as brothers and sisters, which we're going to see right here in a little bit. But this has to be taken care of. It's addressing the issues. And then it's not overlooking sin either. Real unity is not uniformity, it is not avoiding issues, and it is not overlooking sin. If you want unity in your life, if you want unity with those that are around you, if you want unity with your spouse, if you want unity with the relationships around you, we cannot just overlook sin, right? Love covers a multitude of issues, and sometimes we chalk things up to that and we say, you know what, I love you, and it's fine. And yet sometimes there are sin issues that need to be addressed 
in the lives of individuals. And that is what Paul is looking to do here in the book of 1 Corinthians. He is saying that I must address the sin issues that exist here. So real unity is not uniformity. It's not avoiding. It's not overlooking. We want to be, pay attention to that. So what does Paul continue on? Let's jump back a little bit, jump back into the text. 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 1, verse 11. Remember what he said there? He said, my brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that you, there are quarrels among you. Well, or excuse me, what I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. He continues on from there. And what he says is this, is Christ divided? Right? Is Christ divided? You guys are saying that we follow these different people. That's what's bringing the divisions among you. And then I follow him. I follow him. I have all this. Jesus, like, is Christ divided? The answer is obviously no. Was Paul crucified for you? The answer is obviously no. Were you baptized into the name of Paul? No, no, and no. The point there that Paul is making is, listen, I was there. I'm the one that started this church. I brought you together as a church. I am not the one that was crucified. I am not the one that you were baptized into. All right? It is not me. He continues on by saying this. I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except for Crispus and Gaius, so no one can say that you were baptized in my name. What's he want them to realize? You weren't baptized in my name, but rather you have been baptized into the name of Jesus Christ. And then he continues on. Yes, I also baptized the household, the household of Stephanas. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. And so saying that, um, for some of you that may be a little bit forgetful, this hopefully should be a verse that you hold on to right there, right? I only baptized these two. Hold up. Nope. I remember there's a couple more there, right? All right. Is it, is it, there's, ooh, there's a mistake in scripture. There's a problem in scripture. No, it says Paul's writing. What's he saying? You know what? I was thinking this. I sent that, but no. I, and he didn't have backspace then. He couldn't just put, 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 and retype it, right? So as he continues writing, he's just saying, listen, I want you to know that I also baptize these individuals. So he continues on, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Again, Paul is going back to it is about the cross of Christ. Where is the power? The power is in the cross of Christ. It's not in my eloquent words or my wisdom that I speak. The power of the cross is what is going to display the unity that is in you as a group of people. It is going to be what displays, what brings about the unity. If we believe, if we follow the power of the cross, that will unify us. One of the tricks, one of the tricks of, of the devil, one of the tricks of the evil one is this. Instead of looking at what unifies us, we look at what divides us. Right? Instead of looking at the cross of Jesus Christ, which is the unifier, we look instead at end times in prophecy. Well, I think it's going to happen this way. First, it's going to happen this way. And, and we divide over, over who holds which belief. Is it a pre-trib pre rapture? Is it a post-trib rapture? When is the millennium? Is it really a thousand years? Or is, it just, is, that just, is that just allegorical thousand years? We divide over that. We divide over things like... Can, let's get a little more petty. 
Growing up, how many of you went to a church where the ladies, you only wore dresses? And if you didn't wear a dress, yeah, you were wrong. Yeah. I mean, some of you are wearing jeans to church. Who in the world would do such a horrible thing, right? No, no. And yet, you grew up in a church. Some of us grew up in a church. You couldn't worship God wearing jeans. There was something wrong with that, right? And we would divide over things like that. We would divide over dress. Some of you may still struggle with that. But we would divide over dress. We divide over things like this. Drums, God forbid. Oh, man. Plus, they play it loud. Oh, my goodness. Oh, and then my ears. I don't, right? We divide over things as small as that. And for some of us, but, but those are the big things. The cross of Christ. Paul's about the cross of Christ, proclaiming its power. So what is real unity? If we continue on, what, what is real unity? You, real unity, what does it do? It graciously disagrees. Real unity graciously disagrees. And I want you to know that Paul displays his force. Think about this in our... By, by the way, let, let me just back up. When you talk about division, think about it in our own country. It's not hard, right? We're all divided. Right, left, right, wrong, whichever way it goes. And we forget the freedoms that unite us. And if we keep our eyes focused on the division, what happens? The chasm gets greater and greater. And within Christianity, the same is true. When we focus on what divides us, that chasm gets wider and wider. And yet the cross of Jesus Christ was there to do what? To span, to bridge that chasm. So Paul shows us, how do we graciously disagree? Look at what he does, even right here, in this passage of Scripture that we've just looked at. I appeal. He doesn't pull out the apostle card. He's going to use the apostle card as he needs it. But what's he doing? He's appealing to them. He appeals to them. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, listen, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I want you to hear this. We don't want the divisions. We want you to be, re we want you to be united in one. He continues on by saying, brothers and sisters. What does he call them? Brothers and sisters. He could have called them my children at this point. And at times he uses that term. But he says, brothers and sisters. What? You're my peers. You're my equals. I want you to come together. I don't want us to be separated. He's not there pounding on them, trying to hit them harder and saying, listen to me. I'm the apostle Paul. Some of you have come from churches like that where you, where you, where you may have had a pastor like that, right? And you struggled with that. Why? Because Paul is coming to them and he's saying, listen, I, I want you to follow. He's graciously, he's graciously showing them, look, there's disagreements that we're going to have and we need to come together on them. But this disagreement about who follows who, we've got to be done with that, brothers and sisters. We need to listen. We need to follow Christ. That is what Paul is saying. What else does real unity do? Not only does real unity graciously disagree, there are times where it divides over essentials and dialogues over the importance. What do I mean by that? It, it, it divides over the essentials. You know what? If another, if another church is proclaiming that Christ is not risen from the dead, that there is not the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, we need to divide over that. We need to leave. We need to not be a part of that. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. I mentioned earlier the things about end times, right? There are different churches, different denominations that believe different things about the end times. It doesn't make them heretical. There are differences that we have divided over, partially in our theology, right? 
We don't hold some of the same beliefs as some of the other churches that are out there when it comes to some of the, some of the dialogues that take place in church. But yet, within our church, what do we want to do? We want to dialogue over what's important. We've tried to break that down to next steps. We've tried to break that down to the process of what is your next step? Following forward, moving forward. You see, we divide over essentials, but we dialogue over what's important. And then finally, we walk in humility. If we are going to move forward, if we are going to move through division, Paul is saying what we are going to do is we are going to walk in humility as well. And that is one of the things that we need to do moving forward as a body of believers, right? That is what you need to do in your life. When there is division, it's not always easy to walk humbly, is it? As a matter of fact, sometimes we like to puff up our chest. I'm right. You're wrong. It's going to go my way. How's that work? That all, yeah, not very well. That doesn't work so well, does it? Yeah, it doesn't. We walk with humility. Micah 6, 8 said it this way. By, by the way, the minor prophets, the minor prophets are amazing passages of scripture and that they deal with unity all throughout them. Purity and unity, purity and unity. Walk together in our minor prophets. In Micah, in Micah 6, 8, there's a courtroom scene that is set up there in chapter six. And within that, he is coming down and he's saying, what is it that the Lord requires of you? What is it that the Lord has called you to do, O oh man? He's called you to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly. Those are words that will work when we are in division, if we will just allow them to work. Those are practices that we can apply in our daily lives, right? Do justly. Love mercy. Yeah, but they're wrong. That's okay. Love mercy. Yeah, but they're really wrong. You know what? You were once really wrong. And somebody showed mercy to you. See, we were all far from Christ when he showed his grace to us, weren't we? Do justly. Love mercy. Walk humbly. Why is it so important that we fight for unity? Why do we need to fight for it? Because Jesus commanded it. Think about this. The night that he was going to be betrayed, Jesus was with his disciples. And on that night, he is with them and he is together with them. And what is one of the things that he tells them? Knowing that this crucifixion stands right in front of him, it is there. He is aware of what's going to take place this night. And what does he say? A new command I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you. So you must also love one another. Wait a minute, Simon the Zealot says. Do you know Matthew's still collecting taxes for Rome? We can't be together. That guy's wrong. Matthew's there like, what's the problem with this Simon guy? Doesn't he realize we need to follow Rome? They're all working together. They argue amongst themselves still. And yet Jesus says, no, no, no. A new command I give, love one another as I have loved you. What had Jesus done? He had washed their feet. He had displayed the love of God because he was God in their lives. Why else do we need to fight for unity? Not only did Jesus command it, but our unity is non-Christians judge us by it. We need to remember that. The world is looking at us. They look and they observe. They judge the church by their unity. Why would I go to that church? I know him. I know her. I know how they behave. <laughs> they go there. Can't be too good, can it? The church, the world judges by the way we behave. Jesus went on to say these words. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. 
How are we doing? How are you doing? Is that, is that the verse that, are these the verses that can be displayed in your life or are those verses that you need work on? If you're anything like me, I'm certain that it's a daily process of working to display the love of Jesus Christ in your life to those that are around you on a regular basis. Why? God says there should not be division amongst you. You are believers in Jesus Christ. How is it that we treat one another? We love one another. Why? Because the world's watching. And we want to share the hope of Jesus Christ with them. Pray with me if you would, please. God, as we close our time together this morning, I say thank you for each one that is here. And Lord, as we say thank you for each one that is here, I, I pray that you might bless, that you might encourage them. Lord, may we look to follow you. May we look to love you. But Lord, may we realize that there is a world that is outside of us, that is lost, that is dying. And God, the way we treat one another is important. May we love, may we follow, may we desire to serve you in all that we do. God, I say thank you for this group of people. Thank you for this church. Thank you for this campus here in Conklin, the people here that show love for one another. Thank you for Bridgewater as a community of the churches that love one another. Thank you for the churches in our entire area, Lord, that proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. We say thank you that there are brothers and sisters in this area that go to other churches that proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we are able to partner with them. We love them and we say thank you for them. God, may each one of us on an individual level, may we desire to follow you. May we desire to serve you. May we desire to love you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Amen. I want to invite you guys.